this is Jerry DiPiano, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today, I have one of our frequently um, attending guests, um, Dr. Juliana Hauser, who is a psychologist. And for those of you that have not had the pleasure of listening in or viewing, let me share a little bit of information about Dr. Hauser. Dr. Juliana leads conversations about relationships, agency, sexuality, intimacy, and with so much more because she is a professional, but she has great, and she has great expertise, but she also makes it fun. Now, she does have some great professional credentials. She received her PhD in counseling education from the College of William and Mary, and she is considered a thought leader and sexpert, say expert, diving deep into hard to have conversations that all of us need to be having. The jewel of Dr. Juliana's practice and offering is something called the Revealed Course. She also certifies others to train with her. And if you'd like to learn more, you can visit her website, dr-juliana.com. So Juliana, it's a pleasure to have you once again on the Love Me Vita podcast. Thank you and for having me. I always love our time together. Oh, uh, we have a lot of we do have a lot of fun. There's no no doubt about it. We've we've had so many great podcasts together, and I know we have many more planned uh, coming up in the future. Today we're going to discuss a topic that tends to present itself at really at midlife. Not that that's exclusively when this may happen, but it really is when when partnering, whether it's a significant partnership relationship or divorce. So if you have a new married, it's divorce. But we know that there are lots of folks that don't actually do the marriage thing, but still have a very significant long-term relationship. And when things start to head in the wrong direction, or when we have that self-reflection and we determine that perhaps this isn't where we want to be or need to be, it can be very unsettling to say the least. So we're going to talk about um, how to rebuild after we end this long-term relationship, whether it's marriage or a significant partnering relationship. And at least from the marriage perspective, we know that the statistics are relatively significant. Um, 40 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce, and then 75% of second marriages end in divorce. And some folks try and they still it still doesn't work out. So in your professional capacity, perhaps we can talk about um, how we get to the point where we, when do we, how do we know that it's time to move on? Hmm. Yeah, that pathway is, uh, is different for everybody. But what I have found, if you're the one deciding that this relationship uh, has come to its completion, then typically it's been a pretty long road to get to that place. And long doesn't necessarily mean uh, in a calendar days, but long as in an emotional self-reflective dive. For some, it's a death by a thousand cuts and others, it's just a, a sword cut that there's something significant that happens. 
And I have yet to find somebody that along that way of the reasons why that it doesn't intersect with the like their world belief and their belief of themselves or self-worth. So you're dealing with three different things all at once. You're dealing with the thought of a relationship ending. You're dealing with, well, what does this mean for me? Who am I in this situation? And you're looking at how does this fit into the greater world of how, how I think it, how it works. So how do you know? You know when um, when the thought of staying feels so incongruent with who you are and your values and where you want to be heading in life is is kind of the the most common theme that I've that I've seen. When it's the opposite, when it's someone else telling you that it's over, that's very different. When it's not mutual or it's not what you wanted. Um, I have found that uh, the rebuilding process is different because now you're dealing with a suddenness to it, with lack of agency in it, with lack of choice. Even if you, quote, saw it coming or even if you uh, look back and think, yes, if you didn't decide it, if you weren't a part of the decision, it feels very different. And so then it's a matter of not deciding that you're going to end it, but how am I going to come to terms uh, with this change in my life? I think it's a very important distinction because you're right. If you one party may think that everything is going along swimmingly and they see nothing wrong with the relationship and the other party makes the decision to end the relationship and you you feel blindsided. You potentially feel blindsided and a little lost and perhaps you've given it a hundred in your view you've given it 150 percent and perhaps you have given it 150 percent so it it would it would feel like your agency was taken away from you because you're dealing with consequences but you didn't make the decision so you're still dealing but you're still dealing with the consequences of someone else's decision mm. that can feel really bad and I would imagine that in that situation, rebuilding could take a different type. There, there would be different tactics, different strategies and tactics to try to move on from something like that. Maybe we can even separate the two. So in the one instance where it's, I guess there were three scenarios, one where it's mutual, second scenario where you, in this case, the person that's watching or listening to this made the decision. And then what if you're on the other end of that? Um, what if you're receiving the consequences but really didn't want the relationship to end? So those those would be at least three scenarios that I could I could see. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the um, <clears throat> in the first scenario, um, which is that you mutually agreed. So this is one of my favorite places as a couples therapist is having a either in our work together, the couple realizes jointly that they no longer are, are want to be together or they come to me to help that process be loving and respectful. It's it's just I, I, I'm hesitant to use the word joy, but kind of because to me, I think it is such a beautiful experience to lovingly acknowledge the meaning that you had in each other's lives and to say, and we're not moving forward like we are right now, whether you have children or not in that process. And I, I'm thinking of this one couple in particular um, that they, um, and they, they weren't married 
And they, uh, part of the rebuilding process was having a very loving goodbye in which they honored what they meant to each other and what their experience was for one another, its lives, how they impacted each other positively, both of them being accountable for what they think contributed to the relationship not working, uh, and both on, uh, wishing each other well in, in the next chapter. Uh, it was it was about a three-hour session, and it was loving and healing and beautiful. And I'm not, I don't want to act like it was then all unicorn and rainbows afterwards because there, there were details and things that that got harder along the way that, that gets difficult. I've seen people absolutely disintegrate over picking China in a divorce <laughs> rather than like the actual things that, that made it difficult. But when you are mutually agreeing to part ways, um, what I like in the rebuilding process is, is to do this three-part question, which is what did I learn uh, about myself because of this relationship? What did I learn about relationships in general because of this relationship? And what am I learning that I want to be different uh, to either to keep or to be different as I move into other relationships? And you know, a, a mistake that I think people make is when, when they meet someone who's been divorced, and especially if they meet someone who's divorced twice, that they think that mean they don't believe in love or they don't believe in the like, quote, sanctity of, of marriage. But I've actually found that to be quite different. But actually, there's a lot of times that when you do choose divorce, it's because you are choosing a different kind of love. You are believing in partnership and the good of it. It just is what you're in right now. You've either outgrown or the relationship has changed and doesn't work for you anymore. And, and so I find it not to be, we talked about this earlier, like I, I don't find it to be a failure. I find it to be actually a testament to moving into a, a truer place of who you are and where you're going. And so part of the rebuilding in that is, is honoring it for each of you and uh, being accountable to who you were in that relationship in the positive and in the challenges is a really crucial part in rebuilding after mutual too. It's, it's a crucial part of all three scenarios, but it's really important um, when it's mutual. Um, and, uh, and then having, and, and there'll be themes throughout all of them, but I guess what stands out in the mutual one is, okay, so now we've been peaceful. We get to say we, we were amicable. Often that's like with, a, I, I do, I, one of my divorces was it was a amicable one that I do wear at the badge of honor. But now what are you going to do? So now that you've completed this relationship, what are you going to put into motion into this next chapter for you? And really taking ownership of that. This is your chance to, as you know yourself better than we, we, we hope, as you know yourself better than you did previously, how are you going to make choices for the people you surround yourself with, for how you're going to show up in these relationships connections. What self-work do you need to, to focus on in order to um, step into this new chapter truthfully uh, and in a more fulfilled way? And, and, that's, and in this scenario, when you come to that mutual understanding that we're not here after what we thought we were here after, so we're going to be gone, you know, so we're going to move on. Um, I always call it the hereafter conversation. Um, so when you both agree that that makes sense to, and you're not after the same things, um, but you, you don't dislike one another, but you just weren't cut out to be together for the rest of your life. You still need to think about rebuilding. And I know you talk about this rebuilding on your own terms. Mm -hmm. So if both parties agree that it's time, Talk, let's talk about how you rebuild on your own terms. 
So depending on how long um, or intimate the relationship was, you may have to do some disentangling from that life and the decisions that you were making together, the identity that you had formed or were forming with this person. And sometimes that, that disentanglement is a relief. It's, you feel like you're unloading baggage and you're unloading parts that were like clothes that weren't ever yours and didn't fit right. Other times it's, it feels like it's being ripped away from you, even if it's the choice that you were agreeing to. So in that process, it's a lot of, um, and you've heard me use this terminology before, it's a lot of just finding out like, what do I want? What do I want? What are my yeses and nos to everything at this point? And, and what, what do I need? Those are very different things. And, and it's not always easy to, to sit in that questioning especially because you're not in a bubble, friends, family, even coworkers, everyone's got an opinion of what you should be doing at this point too. So it can, it can be overwhelming to have all this, all this support that gives unsolicited advice to you. So you really have to, to listen as if you have an advisory committee, but stand as the president of your decisions. Um, listen, but it's up to you. You're the one living this life. You are the one that will be living out the choices that you're making. So you really want to be in a place of truth about who you are, understanding of what you need and what you want, and, and then living them and surrounding yourself with people who will support that. It sounds like that could cross boundaries of all of the different scenarios that we discussed. So irrespective of whether it was someone else's choice, your choice, or a mutual understanding that it was time to move on, you're right. You do even you know in those scenarios you get the unsolicited advice, um, and it. I guess it's important to think about who you choose to be part of your advisory committee because let's face it depending upon the choice, you know, if it's a person that's uber conservative and they feel you need to stick this out to the bitter end, um, could be a family member, could be a religious that, um, you know, is part or, or part of your cultural community. So you may get advice, you know, you have to kind of sift through all that and decide what feels right to me. It's mm -hmm. really all about you. It's not about them. And, and that's not selfish or unhealthy. It's, it's actually responsible to sit there and take self-responsibility for the choices that you're making. And I, I think that gets lost in the rebuilding process also, especially if you are being drowned in opinions and advice and how I did this and this worked for me, or I read this article or think about this, or you're not doing this right, or you've got to try this. There's a lot of that happening. And most of it is well-intentioned. Most of it is. Not all of it, but most of it is. And even the well attention can be really difficult. If you're, if you are even in, in a kind of solid, assured place, but that's not often the case with most endings of significant relationships. Um, there's often a time of grieving, even if it was by choice. Um, and so you want to be mindful of how you're making decisions and who you're listening to in the grieving time period as, as, as well, or, or, or the, the most recent part of the grieving time um, period too. Grieving can last for a very long time, again, even if it was something that you chose to do as well. But yes, you want to be careful who you're surrounding yourself with. 
Uh, and and I can later give you my my list of the all stars of who I would who I would put on your committee. Yeah, I would love to know what those what that list would look like. And I'm assuming that most of the uh, listeners and viewers would feel the same way. Who would you put on your committee? I you know I I kind of have an idea as to who I might want, and I know who I definitely would not want on that committee. But I'm curious to hear um, who that would be. And I, I guess the um, you know in the case the scenario where one one person was just you know everything they thought everything was fine you know it's okay I'll, I'll you know make this a little humorous perhaps you know in in the case where one partner just you know didn't really think that they had, were getting enough from the relationship and the other partner felt that they were giving 150% even though you know they were pretty irresponsible and kind of lackadaisical and you know one party was kind of investing all their energy so yeah get get complete mismatch and maybe it evolved over time you know we see this um we see this with folks that start off together in a career and what they shift and one party may carry the load and the other party just doesn't i'm not just and this is not to be sexist i'm not this could be the the woman who's you know had the kids had the career you know, still working and husband is coasting because the wife has been pulling all of the load for years. And all of a sudden he says, hey, what's happened here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> am I am I not good enough for you? Mm -hmm. and, and, I've, and I've also seen uh, couples where they mismatched on on seeing the severity of the problem. So perhaps they they knew they were fighting more. They knew there was a disconnect, or they weren't having sex anymore, or they they were roommates instead of spouses. But they thought it wasn't that bad, or they didn't take the the complaints or the anger or the sadness serious enough. And like we've got time to fix this, and then all of a sudden there's not time anymore uh, to fix it. The person has made the decision. And or you make the decision and, and you're and you're over it uh, at that point. And, and to me, when I first started as a therapist, I remember thinking, how do people get surprised besides like an affair? How how are people surprised that their partner is unhappy? Uh, until I quickly realized, oh, right, Juliana, you like communicating. And that's one of the reasons why you're in therapy, but not everyone does. And not everyone knows how to. And in fact, I saw that it just obviously now many years into my career, I see how often that actually does happen, how people can live a life together without really sharing a lot of inner thoughts and without really even problem solving that they're just going through the motions and things and, and have no idea how far apart they are um, actually. When that's the case, uh, especially when it's something that you weren't expecting, when you're the one that that uh, didn't think this was going to be happening, um, what I have found in the rebuilding process that's different than the others is there's often a sense of betrayal. And I don't mean infidelity betra betrayal, but a betrayal of safety, a, a betrayal of, I, I thought we were on the same page of kind of no matter what. Um, or at least I'd have a pretty big heads up about this. Um, and so they they have a, a, they have to revisit trust and they have to revisit uh, believing people or understanding what it means um, to, to quote count on somebody or to be, I hear the words dependable or counting on um, a lot more in the rebuilding process um, and that, and a whole lot of why wasn't I wanted? Why wasn't I good enough? Why didn't you fight for me? Why didn't you give me a chance? 
why did you just leave and abandon me? And those are very different rebuilding places. Uh, those are core wounds. Those are soulful things that um, don't happen very quickly. And no uh, advisory board is going to be able to help you in that process. You have to walk along that road. You can gather information, but it's it's really a road that, that you need to rebuild. And it needs to be in the forefront as you're rebuilding your life and the details of things. For the ones that I've worked with or known in my personal life that they're in that category, the ones that have the hardest times um, are the ones that cannot get through that looping um, of, uh, I can't believe this. And uh, they're emotionally devastating, right? Because you perhaps you lack the self-awareness and you feel that you've been emotion. It's emotional harm that you feel in those scenarios. Is it best to seek therapy to try to dig deep into the, you know, yourself to try to understand perhaps not what you did necessarily, but how to move forward? Because again, you may be confused. You feel blindsided. So is it best to seek a therapist in that scenario? I do. I, I, I absolutely think so. Because you, what you need to do is you need to be protective of this place of you, you have been blindsided it, for whatever reason. It does like, this is not the place to have blame in, in it on yourself or, or others. It is your life. I, what, what I was, how I term it is you have just had on your whiteboard of life that you had all mapped out Somebody didn't just like accidentally go up against and smudge a part of it. Someone just came and erased the whole part of from here forward. And that does not feel good to have that happen. And so you have to have that support and grieving and you want to find somebody who isn't going to push you too far into that place of let's get back into it. And, and we're going to get you going and, and get you uh, getting into the new hobbies and getting into uh, starting a new life again solely. Uh, so attend to those feelings of grief and then find that balance with a professional. And, and then you can add in divorce coaching or support groups um, that are, uh, there's a lot out there that you can find of when you're ready to start doing the nuts and bolts of things. And again, it isn't like, okay, now I've grieved and now I'm moving into this phase of, of the rebuilding. It happens simultaneously, but don't overlook the, the part of being sad and recognizing this. And then you move into, okay. So back to agency. So then now what? How do I start rebuilding it? And sometimes people pick up that, that dry eraser pen very quickly and they start writing and that's fine. Others, it takes a while to do it, that they have resentment, they have sadness, they are terrified of, of what they're going to have to learn and change in order to move into this new chapter. In this, in this phase, though, and I would say irrespective of whether someone else initiates this and you were, you know, you're on the receiving end where you were, it was mutual. You, you refer to taking control of what you want, mm -hmm. really, really owning this time, you know, what you want, what you want to do, what you want to eat, where you want to go. How, how important is that in the process of rebuilding? It's pivotal. It's pivotal. It, it's, and, and it, it goes along with several other things that are very helpful as well, but it's, to me, it's 
the point of going into this next chapter is no matter how you got to this chapter, walking there, being shoved there, or, or um, finding yourself there, it is, this is the time to take charge of who you are now and what you know about yourself, because invariably the process from when you said yes to this person to where the no has occurred, you have changed. The process of going through the no and however it happens has changed you also. So let's figure out what are the pieces in that change that serve you, that serve who you want to be, where you want to go in your life. And let's look at the pieces that don't. And let's work on those to remove them or to shift them into something that does serve you. And that all starts with those very clear, and, and I will not use the word simple, questions of what do I want? What do I need? What are my yeses? What are my noes? And pausing after every time you ask this question and listening to your body, listening to your feelings, listening to your thoughts, that pause is so pivotal to this new chapter. Again, so you're not influenced. You're not trying to do what everyone else does. You're not trying to do what the next book says. You're not trying to do what happened, worked for your neighbor. None of that. It is at your own pace, in your own way, so that you are authentically creating this life. And to me, that's that's a it's a positive of being in this chapter. There are a lot of people who have long-term relationships, but they're not happy ones. And we you know, reward the number of the anniversary, but we're not necessarily looking at the health of the relationship. And they don't have, as people in those circumstances don't always have the chances to really start on their own terms and have freedom to have yeses and nos. Um, and, and so again, like I'm not trying to be toxic in the positivity of things when things are you know, just tough or hard, but this is a place where you can find a whole lot of strength, a whole lot of change and motivation in your life. And it's where I see people take off. When people are, are able to start asking themselves those questions, aren't afraid of the I don't knows, and just keep asking it. That's when I know that the there's going to be a rapid change um, in this chapter. And it's exciting. It, you know, listening to you, this is not about being selfish. Perhaps you were totally unselfish in the relationship, in the long-term relationship, because let's face it, you know, we do, we, we do compromise when we're in a long-term relationship. Maybe we live in a, in a, in a state or in a, in a city that we really, you know, it was something that our partner wanted, but not necessarily that what we wanted, or, you know, we had dinner at a certain time or we did certain, you know, we, we had certain hobbies that we did together because it made one partner happy, but the other one was less so excited about it. And now it's time to say, wait a minute, who am I? What do I, what did I really love? Why did I, I gave these things up, mm -hmm. right? because I was trying to be a good partner and compromise. I don't have to do that anymore. I mean, there's a certain self, it, it, again, it, maybe it is selfish. There's a certain amount of that selfishness that kind of feels empowering to me. Like, wow, I know yeah. this, is, I know this is done, but here's who I really am. This is what I can do now. I have the rest of, you know, whatever I have the rest of my life to now pursue the things that I really loved and, mm -hmm. To get back to you know the purpose, what is my what is my purpose? My purpose wasn't necessarily to, to be the you know 
the you know moderator of all the fights and the person that compromised, right? And the doer of all things, or maybe the undoer of all things, depending upon your particular circumstances. But yet, you know, we we have this, um, we, we tend to have this these issues of success, which means you said it early, earlier on, success means you have the years that you add up and you celebrate them. And that's the years in the partnership or the marriage. And then there's the failure if it doesn't work out. Quite frankly, and, and maybe this is a little edgy, but if you're in a partnership, you should have a contract and you should have a termination provision, right? And, a, renewal, and a, a, a provision that you know gives you the right to renew or for early termination if you default. And you have time to cure, right? I mean, to put it in some, you know, it sounds kind of cold, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's right. So you have milestones that both of you need to accomplish. And if you're not getting there, at least it becomes pretty obvious when it's, you know, when it isn't working out. So maybe it should be, it, it's not a failure. It's just contract didn't work out. It's not a failure. Just became self-aware. So let's let's talk about this success versus failure dichotomy. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. I think there's honest, I actually think there's so much merit to it. And it could, it could really, an idea like that could really help normalize the experience that so many people struggle with. Uh, and that so, so much of our society isn't set up to support a long-term relationship anymore that's healthy and happy. So why do we look at it as failure and a success? Oh, I don't know. Well, we could get into lots of societal reasons as to how we got to this place, but how do we extricate ourselves from that belief is it isn't to me about length of a marriage. It's about fulfillment. It's about each partner feeling like the reason why they're in a partnership still is relevant and is still active and healthy and fulfilling to them. I would celebrate that whether it's one year or 50. That is beautiful. I'll often ask and I'll often start a lot of my therapy sessions with couples as in like, what is the point of a partnership? Not why are you two together? Why did you fall in love? But what is the point of partnering with somebody romantically and sharing your life with them? And it's, it's pretty often people have not thought of it or, or it's hard to articulate it or they have different reasons as to why. And, and that's not necessarily a bad sign, but it's interesting that we don't talk about it. So when we look at failing versus um, succeeding, I, I think we're using the wrong criterion on this. And, and that's just across the board what, what we do. We don't, we look at anything besides number as none of our business. Uh, but I think we've all been at anniversary parties or we've all seen things that were like, well, I mean, yeah, you know, it's like a golf club kind of in it or like, yeah, you did it. I don't know how you did it. Or you'll say like, they've been, you know, they, they are happy together. It's not the kind of marriage I would want, but they're happy together. Like those kinds of caveats uh, to things. And in some ways it is in our business Two people decide actively and with agency that they're right with each other. How, what they decide that partnership looks like and feels like if, if it's consensual and healthy um, then and safe, then, then you get to have relationship agency, just like you get to have personal agency in that. But I, I wish that 
I wish that what what we really could could stop is feeling like if it's quote failed, that it is it is such a attribution to you being a failure. I, I hear that I'm embarrassed. I have failed. Um, I like uh, I, I the one thing I wanted in life I failed at. I hear that over and over and over. And I said it myself. It's the one thing that I couldn't accomplish. The one thing I couldn't make happen. Uh, and um, and what a shame that we've attached um, our self worth so much to this. And um, instead of other qualities and, and relationships, instead. I also think, and, and I've said this to you before too, like I, I love uh, Sarah Blakely of, of Spanx talks a lot about uh, inviting yourself open to failures. And I'm not saying like, yeah, let's all go out and, and marry a hundred people and just be so thrilled at, at failing. Cause I mean, there's some logistics and if you have kids, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into unwinding um, a contractual marriage um, and a familiar one also. But uh what is so wrong and bad about failing at this? And, and I prefer to use the word um, completed. Um, and I heard Glennon Doyle use that word and it, it landed with me very strongly. Like it's completed. It's very similar to the quote that there is a reason and a season for relationships. Very similar to that, that, you know, we, and Esther Perel talks about this, like we just have this almost toxic belief that relationship has to be long-term and it has to be um, one person for your whole life if you are going to be proud of the relationships that you've been in. And I, I just, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen that play out for a lot of people. I have though, and, and I'll have people say to me, do you know anyone that's happy? Can you tell us anyone that's happy in a relationship? We've had this conversation in a different podcast. Yes. I know, I do know many people. I do. And some are first marriages, some are not. Some are not marriages at all. And and I um, and there's definitely, we've talked about this previously, there's there's definitely threads throughout that. But if you didn't, if you didn't get that the first or second time, if you if you did have it and it changed, because life happens. You get to know each other better or you stop learning who you are or life is really difficult at times too. And, and you find out how you handle things differently or if you have Ill illnesses or mental illness or career stuff or, or you life doesn't turn out how you think it's going to. That can be very difficult to navigate individually, let alone alone. So why is it a failure if we decide um, this, this partnership isn't the isn't best for either of us um or for all involved in it and so i i would i guess the last thing i'd say about this is some people who disagree with that stance are afraid that if we don't hold marriage as the most sacred and if we don't hold long-term relationship as the most sacred to how it holds our society that we are going to all fall apart and studies and statistics just belie that, that 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 isn't happening, that isn't the reason. And, and when we had lower divorce rates, it did not make us healthier, happier people, privately, individually, or collectively. Um, and I hope that we are in a phase of rebuilding this, revamping what relationships, marriages, spouses, and partnerships looks like. And I think part of that is um, finding a different word besides failure. You know, it's a it's interesting to think about 
this in the context of the rebuilding process, right? Because if you feel that you have failed, then it makes it much harder to take that next step and to rebuild. If you feel that, you know, you've learned something, right? So what did you learn? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about the person that you partnered with? What did you learn about the circumstances? Then you have you can give yourself it, it is it can be liberating and you can think about how to take that next step forward and act and actually the, I would view that as the success is coming to a better understanding of your circumstances so that you can move forward perhaps in a more healthy relationship or a different kind of a relationship. You know, I um, throw in a little humor here. Um, I, I'm a big fan of um, Grace and Frankie. Oh, me too. And, you know, it reminds me of when they learned that their husbands were in love with one another and they were moving on. And in that case, the, the wives felt very betrayed because their husbands had chosen to move on and they had chosen a different type of relationship with, and, and the husbands chose to move on with one another. So even a different type of sexual relationship in partnering. And yet they both came to learn so much about them, themselves and even the way that they had guided their relationship. So I liked the moving on piece. They both did move on uh, in very different ways. And in some, and in some ways they, they learned to respect one another in all their differences. So they became close friends. So some pretty unexpected things can happen when you start to look introspectively about that. So I, I do view that, I hate the word failure, but in, in another sense, if you don't fail, you don't know how sweet it is to, you know, to finally take that next step and feel good about the next step that you've taken. And I, I think that might be a cliche, but in any event, it's okay to fail. It's, but it's, it's, it's better to be able to take that failure and learn from it and move on. And I, and I think too, I mean, there are some cases where it is just very harmful and toxic and there isn't a lot that you can glean from it that that was positive and I and I, and I, I know that exists but it, it's a healthy place in your rebuilding process when you don't throw everything out from that relationship again going back to that what did I learn about relationships in general but also like when you can have kindness and compassion especially when you feel harmed in it when when you can see the person is is fallible and human um, that some of the hurt and pain that you had, that you've had time and distance from, that you can see wasn't personal, even though it was and felt personal and, and affected you greatly. Um, or you can have compassion for yourself uh, in, in that process. That doesn't mean you have to be super friendly. It doesn't mean that you have to write a note with it. But I have found there to be when you can, that there's, when there's bits and pieces that you can feel grateful for authentically, not like a Hallmark card, but like gratefully, like truly feel that way. Uh, it often denotes uh, a new chapter in, in the next chapter too. You know, there's, it's easy for us to have this conversation when you're living it. And, you know, I've lived it um, probably lots of 
women, maybe men who are listening to this podcast um, have lived through it. And it can be very destabilizing. So there's so many, you, you say that this, it is a very difficult time um, and you need to have a high tolerance for ambiguity. So it may be economically destabilizing to you. Perhaps there are children that are involved. Perhaps there are other entanglements. Maybe you have a business that's, you know, that's in the middle of all this, or um, there's a third party in the middle. It could be, a, you know, a, a party, someone that you know, or someone that entered the picture and you just, you don't know how you're going to navigate all of these different things. So with, with all of that, it's, it's probably something that requires us, you're dealing with all this ambiguity, requires us all to think, how do I take care of myself, right? What do I do? And it's, it's often, I'm often met with surprise when, when someone's asked me, like, what, what can you do in the rebuilding process or, or, um, or what, is, what is one of the most powerful things you can do when I say have a new relationship with ambiguity and embrace it, understand it. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what just, how is that going to help me? But what I have found is so often because of the destabilizing that you're speaking of, because that, that is just such an awful time for most people that you start looking for certainty. And a lot of what happens in the midst of, of, of a divorce or end of a relationship um, or in the, the kind of like the rebuilding after the ashes are, are there um, is nothing that feels certain in your life. So you cling to that, thinking that's going to make you feel safe, thinking that that's going to be where the, like, that's the roadmap. This is the arrow that goes, go down, go down here. And that's a mistake. It's a mistake to do that what is helpful, what is what I have found to be more long-term and sustainable is if you, again, you go back to those pauses and you're like, okay, I don't know. I don't know. I know this. I don't know this. And you don't force decisions. You don't, I mean, there's, again, there's always caveats to, to, to this. There's always things that you, sometimes you do have to decide where am I going to live if you've lost your home in this process, but I'm, I'm talking more of the soulful things, the worldview things, and sometimes the logistics of it, that you, you get okay with not knowing right now. You find peace in the groundedness of you. That moment when you realize I'm going to be okay. I don't know how, and I don't know what this is going to look like you know, in a week, in a, in a year, but I am okay right now. And I'm going to be okay. That is a magical moment that opens up so many doors for you. And it seems counterintuitive. <laughs> what seems for most people, which is I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to da, 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 da. And, and I, you know, I think there's times that you do get busy like that, but that has to be a smaller percentage than the moments that you're sitting still soulfully or logistically and knowing that you have you can make you can take control and you can do it one small step at a time because i think when we when we're confronted with something of this type of magnitude we tend to want to absorb it all take it on you know if you know you want to check boxes tick things off 
but we don't have to tick everything off at once. We can take one small step and feel safe and victorious in making that one tiny step and knowing that that is within your control. That is what you can control. Maybe you can't control the you know multiplicity of different kinds of things that are going on around you and you feel like your life is a hot mess. So what are the things that you can control? And maybe they're just, maybe it's just, I, you know, I can go to the grocery store. I can buy exactly what I want for dinner. I don't have to have dinner at 6 p.m. I can now have dinner whenever I feel like having dinner and I don't have to make a full meal. Maybe I just need to make a salad this evening. I mean, it sounds stupid and trivial, but that can be empowering in and of itself because you made that decision. And then tomorrow's another day and you could take small steps the next day and the next day after that. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, having lived through this at an early part of my life, luckily didn't have children, but um, yeah, I felt pretty much like I was out of control, inherited a lot of financial obligations, had to deal with those financial obligations, a little bit of the embarrassment of, well, what's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, so I, you know, guilty as charged of you know, feeling like, hey, must be something wrong with me because all my friends are still in a relationship, not me. It's tough to get past that. So for, for anybody that's listening, been there. Same. <laughs> know the pain, know the pain. Yeah, and, and I, I also, and, and I, one of the things that add to, to my story of um, my first husband was that, um, we got married uh, young and married before most people uh, in, in my friend's circle and then divorced before I was the only one in, in a large part of my extended family that was going through a divorce, had ever been divorced. And I was the only at that point and then the first uh, of my friend group to go through a divorce. So I didn't have a lot of examples either um, and felt very exposed, felt very unclear felt like I carried the weight of embarrassment on the family and um, that I had uh, done something really wrong and no one else had done that thing wrong. Um, and so what did that mean? Now, years later, as, as other people started joining the, the, the club, I put it in quotation marks, uh, you know, obviously some of that changed, but I wish like, you know, when we've talked through like the tips and when I talk to people now, I talk, I talk a lot, not just of what I've seen for myself, but what I wish I'd known, what I wish I had known back then, um, when I think back on what I focused on, um, and, and it was so much was wasted energy that didn't help me in the new chapter at all. It didn't help me self-grow. It didn't help me partner better. It didn't help me uh, make good choices at the time. And, and I really want to, again, acknowledge, of course, there's a grieving that comes with this, but also this is a chance to really get to know yourself on a better level and a deeper level that you're going to make better choices for yourself, uh, different choices, more aligned choices. And uh, that, that stands with ambiguity too. I wish I had understood how powerful that concept was back then. You, you know, interestingly enough, the, the opportunity for self-reflection, which is also a very important point that you raise, um, in our conversation is something that I, I mean, I've, I've done it now. Back then, 
I probably didn't do as much self-reflection. And that would have helped me to perhaps rebuild much more quickly. It took me a while because I felt wounded. I was the one that made the choice, but it was kind of thrust, the choice was thrust upon me. I really didn't have a choice. It was either stay in a really bad situation or be courageous and leave. And I made the right decision. I know I made the right decision. At the time, it felt really awful. And if I had taken time for self-reflection, something that I tell my younger self, if I could have given advice to my younger self, I would have said, do more self-reflection. You know, take stock of who you are, what you want, and what, what the next phase of your life is going to look like. And it's sometimes that's really tough because, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you're in your 20s, 30s, or 50s. Um, it's it, that's a really it's a really tough place to be. So again, I don't want to diminish anyone that may be listening or watching this, uh, but self-reflection is super important. And I know you talk about that a lot. Um, and you and and you keep coming back to these three little questions. So I think we should re remind our listeners and viewers of those three little questions because they're really important in the rebuild process. What have you learned about yourself because of this relationship? What have you learned about relationships in general because of this relationship? And what are you learning? What have you learned that you want more of, less of that you need more of and less of? And, you know, and, and I want to add to that, which is when you're going through a divorce or have been through a divorce, it doesn't happen when time stands still. So it's not like most people can go through the experience and, and then go on a, you know, a year long retreat and, and do all this self like most people are having to keep doing their life on a day-to-day -day basis and still shower. And if you've got kids, take care of kids and work, if you're working like those kinds of things. And so it can get very easy to overlook the foundational aspects of rebuilding again, which is why professional help can help you. At least you'll have that hour that you'll do it or that two hour support group that you're in. But I, but I, I urge you also to do it on your own have that feel like a necessity instead of a luxury. And those are just three questions that I find to be powerful and good starting points, but they're just good starting points. There's more questions to be asking um, and more things, more, more tentacles that can show you so much more and help you find hope. I've said this to you previously, but, but, but it, it holds true in this context too, that people can live a long time in pain. They cannot live a long time without purpose. And sometimes when a relationship ends, it was a big part of your purpose. And when that is gone or has changed, no matter the circumstance of it, you, you need to figure out what this new purpose is. And some people will know it quickly. Other people's it's going to be a longer road, but make sure you're doing it truthfully and not by influence of other people and, and not by what you think it should be. I'm not trying to prove yourself to anyone else, but sitting there thinking like, so who am I? And where do I wanna head? And with the choices that I have, what are the best ones that serve me? And know that that's your responsibility and it is uh, your pleasure to, to be able to ask those questions. It's a privilege to be able to ask those questions. Don't squander that.
you know, you are um, a psychologist, um, a licensed family, uh, and marital therapist. And so for, for those that are listening, viewing, um, you are a luxury for a lot of a lot of folks, right? We know that. Not everyone is fortunate enough to A, be able to find someone like you or to be able to afford this type of support. But it may be, it may be really important because you talk about you know, dealing with the ambiguity and trying to find your purpose and trying to move forward. But let's face it, sometimes we're just stuck. And the, finding those resources is gonna be super important if you're feeling stuck or feeling hope, hopeless and feeling like you know, your life, you know, is the life you knew it was over. So we want to be sensitive and thoughtful about those individuals that are in that place. Um, there are there are support groups that are available. We will provide those resources to you in a separate email, so you could check out our blog post, and we will also include that in the notes for the Love Me Avita podcast, so that those of you that do need this type of support, but perhaps cannot afford the professional support that you might get from a psychologist, that there are some resources that may be available to you and some groups that you can access so that you can move ahead, so they can take those baby steps and do what you need to do for yourself. Yeah, it's great. A very good point. And I, I, I want to add on to that. If, um, if you do want to seek support professionally, ask therapists so they have a sliding scale. Um, I've always had uh, scholarships available to people at a certain time period after while they're going through divorce or afters because it is shown to have um, the most financial impact on most people's lives. And it's when they need you, when they need support the most. Um, there are lots of great books out there. There are people who are giving away content for free on TikTok and uh, social media and those little sound bites that are can be very profound and very helpful. Um, always be smart about what you're consuming uh, online. Um, I also say caveat for like online chat rooms or groups that just be a wise consumer. Uh, sometimes there can be a synergy of negativity in it. And so if you ever see that, walk away from it. But there's also a lot of positive, wonderful support so that you're not alone in this process. It can be so isolating to go through this experience. And it doesn't need to be. Don't forget those statistics. That's how many people are going through this. <laughs> um, and uh, so there's, there's, there isn't a need to be alone. There are people that may not have your exact story, but they will understand your feelings uh, and your questions along the way. Uh, and I want to get back to one thing that we said they were going to about the different kinds of people that I would put um, into your uh, your support. Oh, right. That's yeah. right. Who's on your advisory council? Yeah. So these are the kind of people, this is like, you know, the joke is, yeah, I wish I had this many friends, but let's just say these are the kinds of people that you want to have if you have access to these kinds of people. You want the person who's going to be snarky. The person that can just say the snarky things alongside you with you because it is a part of the healing process to say snarky, unhealthy uh, things you wouldn't want people to say. 
You want the person that lets you be messy over and over and over again. That's the same broken record that you just cry and or angry or whatever it is. And they're okay uh, in that process. They don't need you to learn it, to fix it or whatever. They can just hold that space for you. You want somebody who's a networker, who is going to uh, find out where this, this music festival is, who's going to know the right lawyer, who is going to, to understand this real estate that's going to help you get a, a new house. Like you, you want somebody who's connected and a doer in, a, in that way. You want somebody who has been through an experience like this, but does not feel like they are your expert. So they can say, they often will say like, for, for me, it did this, or like, this helped me, may not help you, but here's an idea. But they always have that caveat to the advice that they give or the stories that they share. You want somebody who can give you hope, but isn't pushing you into this positive, happy place because they're uncomfortable with your sadness or you not moving fast enough for them. You want somebody who um, invites you to do things that includes you, but it's okay if you're not ready or it's a no. And you want somebody that doesn't, who doesn't force you, that doesn't make you feel bad, uh, that uh, either comes over um, or um, just is okay letting you live your life how, how you're living it. Uh, and then you want the person who um, is going to say, I know you, I know you, I've been through this with you and I'm going to stay by you. That's a pretty comprehensive advice yeah. or counsel. Yeah. It is. We don't and always get it, but it's a great group. Yeah, it is. It is a great group. And we probably all have a little microcosm of that somewhere in our community, uh, among our friend group. Um, you know who you want to invite to the reservation, so to speak. So, yeah, I'll, I will definitely take those notes. And uh, if I need them in the future, I'm I don't think so. I hope not. I think, I think or I, we show up or know that yeah, you're uh, also yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe I can be one of those people. I hope so. I hope someone would include me in that group. But as always, Dr. Juliana Hauser, you are a wonderful guest. Um, not necessarily the most uplifting podcast when we're thinking about ending something, you know, a significant partnership or moving, but we do. We, we are talking about rebuilding. And I think that's the theme. Yes, life sometimes hands us those lemons and we have to do our best to make lemonade. And in the case of ending a relationship, finding those, those steps, thinking about how to rebuild, looking within ourselves, getting the right folks, surrounding ourselves with the right individuals that can help us through the process. All good advice. And we are so grateful to you for being our guest on the Love Me Evita podcast. And for those of you that are listening in, Dr. Juliana Hauser is more than happy to receive your request. You can reach her at dr-juliana.com. She does do virtual appointments. She's based in Kentucky. If you happen to live in Kentucky and you can make it to her, her office, that would be awesome because she is just fabulous. But if not, you can see her virtually and I'm sure she would be very pleased to work with you. So thank you once again. And for all of our listeners and viewers, remember to stay well, 
and love Mia Vita.